Hey, you're listening to the Mr. Bill podcast. Hey, you're listening to the Mr. Bill podcast. Hey, you are listening to the Mr. Bill podcast. Hey, you're 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 listening to the Mr. Bill podcast. All right, welcome to the Mr. Bill podcast. Okay. Yo. All right, so you're just telling me about Shambhala. Let's, let's yeah, talk about yeah, it was like a super, super inspiring festival in the sense that it was more so about the culture of like the rave culture or music culture. I'm not sure how to describe it. There wasn't huge, giant product productions like blasting visuals, making you look, you know, all big and crazy or whatever it was uh for the most part it was all pk sound there oh, and yeah. then i think there was like a, maybe two stages with function but every everything else was pk and i really like the pk system yeah like it sounded good everything so, um, like punches through there yeah i talked to one of the engineers who like um designs the speakers and he said like what they do with the subs is they'll like coil the sub up inside the box so like before the bass has actually traveled because you know how like wavelengths are like a physical thing right yeah so it's like to actually produce like a really low e you actually need like six meters of space for that to actually propagate like in the physical space okay and the way that they get around that by just having you know like a small sub box is they like snail the thing up inside the box so by the time the wave uh the waveform or waveform wave whatever by the time the sound actually has come out of the speaker it's already traveled like 12 meters inside the speaker oh so this is like a port inside the speaker yeah where the air travels through okay. yeah that's one thing they do and, and i think another thing they do is um uh for their subs instead of using uh because like usually you have a cone right and the cone just sort of flaps backwards and forwards yeah i think they use like a piston or like a solenoid or something like that to like punch sub out does that give it like more strength in a sense or like I, more I, power I mean, I would imagine so. It sounds pretty powerful, so. Yeah. But yeah. yeah everything I, smacked on those. It was insane. And when they opened the stages there too, it, they didn't, they did build some of the, some of the sound up. You know how like with most festivals or shows, they, they turn up the volume of the speakers as the show goes on. It, yeah. it was smacking. They just had it up the whole yeah, time. Yeah, the whole time. <laughs> yeah. From 11 a.m. to 6 a.m. Yeah. There's a guy I know who, um, I don't know if he still works there. He used to work there. His name was PJ. Um, and I think he used to travel with excision and do his sound and I had a few good chats with him and yeah, he was, he was really good at just like keeping that shit cranked every time. <laughs> <laughs> like he used to do the sound for me, um, every year at motion notion. Nice. Cause I played there like a few years in a row. Oh yeah. Hey, I should probably introduce you so people know who, who you are. That'd be sick. Yeah. I think probably most people listening would know who you are anyway. Um, so you write under the name Mersive, but you were like a different artist, right? Up until. Yeah. Yeah. I went. Prior to that, I went by Benoit, and that's uh, my middle name. Nice. And, and what, what made you change? Um, because nobody could remember Benoit. They, people would say Bennett or they would say Benoit. It's French, so it has a weird spelling, so people <laughs> didn't know how to pronounce it. I was talking to Stay Loose the other day, um, and he was he's like changed his name now to actually just Stay Loose. Um, but oh, okay. it was spelled like S-T-E-L-O-U-S-E. And he was like, yeah, people fucking call it all, all sorts of shit, like Stelloise and like St. Yeah. Louis and like all sorts of just... Yeah, it's harder. It's I felt like with this change, whenever we did it, it would be something easier to remember and yeah, something very, very, very simple. 
It seems like and it's sticking and people are like getting yeah. done with the brand. Yeah, it's kind of um uh so one thing I heard uh uh Jan talk so Jan is the partner I just started seeing. Um one thing I heard her talking about the other day on a podcast that, that she did was um <clears throat> in the programming world it's like kinda interesting uh that the only thing that, that you're career is sort of based off is like how good you are at programming yeah. whereas in music i feel like that's not the case at all it's so much Definitely to do not. with like branding and stuff yes. and i'm not saying like oh yeah you're shit at music yeah. <laughs> but like i'm just saying like it's so crazy that like so much of it is just based off like something like a name change right, right. It, and it's insane because like the older tunes that it, so i kept i had released three eps under benoit nothing on streaming services just soundcloud and they had hardly any plays and then once that name change switched those other songs started generating plays. So it it was a really interesting thing to see because I don't think anything was wrong with the music in a sense of like how well or not well it was produced. I think just having that name change made it easier and more accessible for people to find it and then yeah. listen to it in a way. Yeah, I don't, I don't ever think that like music is the issue really with like how big people get because yeah. like you have people who are fucking terrible like in the pop industry because yeah. <laughs> they're just on a different playing field when it comes to marketing they have so much money behind them and they have like such great teams and definitely you know, <clears throat> everyone is willing to sort of bend to their will to make their vision happen how they want it to happen um, and there's like no real, f you know, no one can like flex against them because they're just already so big from like coming from a rich family or something like that Yeah, or you know just having crazy they just capital. have money to just dump into it yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I find that really interesting about the music industry. It's kind of like depressing a little bit, but also it's just like, um, yeah, that's that's another reason why I kind of really respect the programming industry because it's literally just like how good you are at making code work. Yeah, I wish it was like that with music too because I feel like a lot of underground artists would, you know, be playing all these awesome festivals and amazing shows and get the recognition that they deserve. But then sometimes you have people that, you know, are ghost produced or just a brand and they're just blowing up, you know? Yeah. Proto hype made a tweet the other day. He's like, uh, the tweet said, imagine if bookings were based on production skill. Yeah. Yeah. I <laughs> be, that uh, recently. Yeah. It would just be like Skrillex still headlining every festival. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's so good, man. Like every time I hear a new Skrillex track, I'm always impressed with like how clean it's mixed. And I don't know if he's doing his mix downs anymore. I've heard, he, I've heard he has like a bunch of people that help him with it. Yeah. Um, I think he's just like fucking so good at songwriting though. He's really good at like, yeah, melodies and like structuring beats and all that kind of shit. Yeah. I recently heard his song. Uh, I think it's called Warlords with Troy Boy. They did a collab and it's smacking. Smacking, yeah. and I think he just released uh, an entire EP with Boys Noise for his side project. Uh, oh, Dog the Blood. Dog Blood one. Yeah, 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 I've been playing one of those tracks out there, Four Mind one with Josh Pan and X and G. Yeah, that track <laughs> is fucking tight. I didn't play it at uh, at Camp Isco though because uh, X and G played like two sets before me. Okay, so I didn't want to like play their track. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, so you've just been like hammering tours this year, right? Because you did um like at the start of the year when I was in Spain teaching, you did the Boogie tour, which was what like fifty shows. Yeah, about fifty shows. And then since then, you've done, what, like another 20 or 50? Something like that. Maybe not 50, probably like 20-ish, because it's been a bunch of, you know, one-off shows here and there, and then on top of festivals. So it's like August, and you've done like 70 shows. Yeah, That's probably, that like? yeah. So there's 52 weeks in a year, so it's definitely every weekend. Yeah. <laughs> it's but I guess a lot of them were condensed, right? Into Yeah. Like this, this month was very exhausting though because we we just did uh, from Wednesday to Saturday we did four shows we were off Thursday played Wednesday Thursday Friday and then two sets on Saturday 
And yeah. Where did you do the two sets? Two sets was in Grand Rapids, Michigan. You did like a uh, down tempo and an up tempo? Well, no, it was um, just regular sets for both, uh, down tempo in between some stuff. Um, But it was a festival set for like 45 minutes, and then we did an hour after party. And the after party was definitely the one. Um, It was like better than the festival? Oh, yeah, definitely. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, I always like that. I did... um, uh, what was it in Greensboro in December? I did the um the bass nectar pre party and that was yeah. super solid. Yeah, I saw videos of it. That <laughs> was, was it, like was bass nectar at the festival you played? Um, the the one uh on Friday, yes, that was the breakaway Columbus, Ohio. Um, so he played insane, the next man. day. Like the yeah. the following that he has is so crazy. He just has like this cult of yeah. people, and yeah, you can just go <laughs> to any festival. People travel all over the country just to go see him play. Yeah, it's crazy. So um, John Coyne, the guy who who runs the shows in Greensboro, like the pre-parties and whatnot that, w- that was surrounding the New Year's Eve Bass Nectar 360 show that I played. I didn't play the 360 show. I played the pre-party. Um, he was just like, yeah, there's going to be like 20,000 Bass Nectar kids here. So I'm going to throw a pre-party and a post-party. And he threw the pre-party with Jansen and a digital ethos and it just instantly sold out. Jeez. So then he threw another one with me and Kyoto and that also instantly sold out. <laughs> It's just like these kids just want to fucking party. They want to party the whole time. (laughs) It's crazy. Um, I was talking to a friend the other day and he was trying to explain the bass nectar scene to me and he's like, yeah, it's like a a dungeon and dragon warlord uh, who just like knows all of the fan fiction and all of like the details about about this game and like every little fucking, you know, possible thing about this thing, but they've been doing ketamine for the last 10 years. (laughs) He's like, that's what we're dealing with here. I don't know how, how accurate that is, but I thought it was a pretty funny description. <laughs> so you you get a bit of shit, right, for like trying the bass nectar thing? Yeah, sometimes uh, people knock on it a lot just because I guess I have long hair and I do uh, hip hop mashed in with my electronic music. But it's funny because like I you know play mostly original music in my sets, and then whenever I do play DJ tunes, I like I tap into you know what's popping now, and then also some of the old school stuff that I grew up with, or old school to me because I got in the scene probably around 2010, first listening to like Dead Mouse and you know Foreign Beggars, Nero, uh, Skrillex, Bass Nectar, all that kind of stuff, and I like to you know play those tunes that inspired me whenever I was a kid in high school and bring that back into the current days, you know. Yeah, I feel like that kind of just happens if you have long hair, like um, yeah. like Space Jesus. He also kind of got paid. He got shit for, for it too. Yeah. yeah, and actually, um, <clears throat> at one point, Bass Nectar even personally texted him Jesus. about about this. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> yeah. That's funny. <laughs> um, yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, it was pretty weird. <laughs> God, and uh, I don't know. Who else? Who else has this happened to? I think it's happened happening a little bit to G Space as well. Um, maybe not yeah. to quite the same degree, but yeah, I feel like it's just that long hair slash. It, sort it's of funny too because sound. like there's definitely like not mainstream artists, but a lot of ton tons of underground artists that have like you know long dark hair that are you know playing tunes. Yeah, like every metal band. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like they're all ripping off so, bass. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because like in the rock scene, like the metal scene, every person had long hair. Everyone they literally did. all look like bass yeah, nectar. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I, th- I think it's silly. I, th- I think it's, uh, it's not something I'm going to take too personally. I'm just going to keep, you know, writing music and doing what I enjoy because it's a lot of fun. And yeah, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. And yeah, I feel like the people who do best in music are the people who can like fight 
themselves a little bit on shit <clears throat> and the people who like get nothing done are the people who can't like get over their own insecurities and anxieties yeah. you know like the people who and, and it happens a lot in the idm scene and that's kind of why i wanted to start a label based around that shit to kind of make it less about that i guess and kind of bring like some edm mindset and work ethic to the to the idm community definitely but um definitely a lot of idm people are like oh, i can't like use this set of notes and like i can't use these samples and i can't like do these specific things because that's lame yeah and it just kind of is like a limiting belief system and it just kind of gets in the way when you're trying to write music and it gets in the way when you're trying to totally. especially play sets you know if you can't play like if, if you're like you know for instance you, you don't mind playing out a dead mouse track or a foreign beggars track as you were saying you know the stuff that inspired you yeah. and that's actually it works really well in a live setting because it's really nostalgic and people don't expect it and then when they hear it, they're like oh this is fucking awesome but like from this super experimental idme kind of scene no one would ever do that because they're just like i can't do that either that's like yeah. out of bounds because it's lame or something i feel like there shouldn't be any rules because i've noticed in my own production like whenever i first started and i had no idea what i was doing i would just do anything and then once i started learning how to do a couple things i would i would start to stick to them and I noticed once I would stick to a certain pattern, some of my music would kind of almost get repetitive. And I'm looking forward to this next chapter after I had finished this uh, tour this fall to like, you know, experiment with new ideas and try new things and not like, you know, put so much of a box around, you know, songwriting or playing shows, making tunes, whatever. Just kind of yeah. make music for the sake of it. Yeah. The yeah. process, yeah. Yeah. So I actually just started a new project for that, um, which I'm not going to name because I don't want anyone to know it's me. Yeah. And um, <laughs> literally the whole thing, I have like a few, uh, I made myself like a little manifesto of just certain things that I want to have like the constraints around this project of. One of which is um, no like samples and no using sound design from like other project files and no using, um, yeah, basically don't, don't use any samples from packs and don't use any samples even if I've created them if they were made for another project file. So okay. it's like every new project file I open, like every sound has, has to, to be, be made. New. Yeah, it has to be made from like a piece of hardware or a synthesizer or something or um, or like I have to record it with a microphone or something like that and I have to make it for that project file. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing is I'm not going to do any shows under this name and I'm not going to tell anyone that's me and I'm only going to do independent releases, not going to do labels and uh, unless it's my own label, I suppose, uh, and no collabs. Nice. So it's basically like... So just 100% original, original samples if you make samples. Yeah, it's like the most IDME project. It's, yeah. it's like literally all the rules and yeah. like, yeah, trying to, I, I don't know. I think creative limitation is important too though, you know, because if you have the option to do everything, you just get option paralysis. And I think yeah. um, it's kind of important to to be able to, to have these limitations. And I think when, when you give yourself limitations, you figure out new ways to do shit, you know, like um, if you can only make sounds, like have you ever done the those sort of challenges where it's like just make a song using this one sample or whatever. Yes. Like make yeah. a whole yeah, and it's like you figure out a bunch of new shit. Like you figure out how to cycle a waveform in a sampler to turn it into an oscillator, and you figure out like a bunch of shit about warping and stretching and granular sound design and how to make like a kick out of you know whatever the fuck it is. Yeah, that the you can make so many different sounds from one sound by just resampling it and. Right. So through creative limitation, in that sense, it's good for learning too. I think. Definitely. So, are you wanting to, with this project, are you wanting to create a specific vibe? for the overall project or for each song that you're making or do you know um, yet exactly what direction you're going to take it yeah i kind of want it to be pretty like boards of canada ish so basically did like sort of yeah hip hoppy idme just low tempo beat shit nice and um yeah it definitely is going to have like that kind of boards of canada flashbulb apex sort of thing 
Heck yeah. Yeah, and I wanted to like just because I don't know, I feel like in in some ways I've like spoiled the Mr. Bill project a lot by like oversharing too much in a bunch of different ways. Like I've overshared about my personal life on social media. I've overshared all of my tricks and stuff like that, which actually I don't mind too much and we can talk about that too. And then um uh, I've overshared like uh you know, just like who I am as in every sort of aspect and Yeah. Um, and I think that it's sort of like ruining a magic trick for someone, you know, like if you show them like some really cool card trick and then you're like, oh, you know, it was just in my sleeve. Then yeah. like, they're just like, oh, well, that's lame now. You know, like it was cool when I didn't know how it was done. And I think, um, that's kind of like the, the test with this new project is to see if I can do all this crazy technical shit and make it sound like enough, not like me that, that people can't really tell it as me, hopefully. And then, um, see if it like has any difference on the branding end. Okay. But I'm also going to do like fuck all marketing for it too. So I think it's probably not going to do that well. But Have you, I know you're not going to mention the name, um, but have you thought of a name? Do you already know? Yeah, it has a name. Okay, yeah, yeah. nice. Yeah, so with the trick thing, um, <clears throat> I feel like there's this weird uh, idea in the production community. It's like if you share your tricks that you kind of like lose the essence of who you are as a producer. Yeah. There's like some stigma there, I think. But I think that's fucking stupid. Like I, I, I reckon if you share your tricks and then all of a sudden everybody can sound like you, then you don't have any essence as a producer. I can agree with that for sure. To me, it's like, yeah, if you, you know, if you show someone how you make your neuro bass sound and then all of a sudden everybody sounds like you, it's like, well, that that's all you had. That was all your yeah. music ever was then. Right. <laughs> so, Something that I've done... So I, the way that I've learned is from, you know, from YouTube. I think that's how a lot of produ younger producers maybe learn because there's so many, there's so much knowledge out there on the internet, you know, with Ableton and I'm not sure with other softwares, I've only looked up Ableton tutorials, um, sometimes Fruity Loop stuff because you never know what you can learn from someone else's DAW and then incorporating that into yours. But something that I've tried to do whenever I see someone, you know, for example, like someone makes a neuro base and shows you how to step-by-step uh, -step process, something that I try to incorporate is um, completely re remixing that idea in a sense to where it almost sounds like, you know, how I would want to do it. And Wait, you mean like if somebody shows you a neuro base, remix the idea of making the neuro base? Yes, in a, in a sense, you know. So um, like what, what, what do you mean? Like if somebody showed you a massive, like what, what would you change in the sense of this? You know, remix? I would change like, for so that's pretty much the only scent that I work with. Yeah, and, oh yeah, we should um, talk about that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it was so weird. So I, so with learning massive, um, it took me about four years before I could even write a song because I was so obsessed with trying to make a sound instead of understanding, you know, the structure of how a electronic song works and how they use samples and all this kind of stuff. I thought music was electronic music was strictly made with synthesizers and drums, no samples, no nothing. Yeah, that's how they make all the years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's all massive. Yeah. <laughs> but I would like... That's why Skrillex gets would, all his vocals. Yeah. <laughs> I would look up videos, you know, of how to make a pad or, or a pluck or even for my dubstep noises was um, how to make rhythm and I would just slightly change the noises with you know different filtering or different post-processing stuff with just Ableton effects and you know create a completely different sound and you know LFO it the way that I would want it or you know try and make it original the best I could but you know taking someone else's idea and just tweaking it a lot to where it's not, it doesn't sound exactly like their idea that they just showed you. Yeah, I feel like that's pretty easy with synthesis too. It's like you yeah. really only have to change like three things. Yeah, yeah, totally. Sound. Yeah, that especially exists on modular synthesis. Like you really only have to like 
unplug like one cable, put it somewhere else, and it's, it's a, completely a different, different sound. Yeah, it's yeah, totally different thing. Now with modular synthesis, I haven't gotten into it, but it looks very interesting. Is there a way to learn it, or are you just you know freestyling in a sense um, every day whenever you're making sounds? No, there's a way to learn it. Um, so it's kind of weird though. So the thing with uh, modular synthesis that's different from software synthesis is it's all based on voltage. So like all the oscillators are just like actual electricity. Okay. Um, and the way that you change the pitch of that electricity is by upping or lowering the volts. And then there's different modules that like send in different amounts of volts and stuff like that to do like pitch stuff. And then there's different, you know, so voltage can only do three things. It can, it can go up, it can go down, or it can stay the same. Okay. That's the only three things it can do. So um, it's pretty much just a whole system based on that. So you have like certain things that are just like bangs, like really short sort of um, pulses, which is just like, you know, one square wave pulse of voltage real quick. It's like a pulse, pulse okay. wave. Pulse and that's how you would like modulate the sound that you're already working with uh so if you if you had like a really short bang you might use that as like a timing clock or something like that like if it was just like a really quick like bang of voltage like every you know if, if it did it uh one time every second then that would be a 60 bbm clock right yeah so then you could like time certain stuff like you could time a sequencer with like this bang of voltage running at 60 bpm and then you could send like um, stuff from the sequencer out to like the pitch of an oscillator and then send that out to like you know an, uh, an amplitude uh, like a VCA which stands for voltage controlled amplifier and then you could send like a what's called CV or controlled voltage which is basically like instead of being like a bang it's more of like a curve like an envelope you could send that into like a you know some sort of envelope generator and, and then like send that to the amplifier to like only open the amp sometimes so the so the oscillator's not sounding all the time and okay. it's basically just like a bunch of like voltage being sent everywhere so so it's kind of like software synthesis but if everything was just voltages and okay. electricity and the thing that gets really cool with modular synthesis is um there's like a, a lot of like random generators and stuff like that like there's so i have this thing here called chance and all it does is generates random voltage that's like okay. its whole job is just and then to, you just record that and then resample it in your projects in a sense um, or? yeah i sometimes use it, use it as sound design i just got a few modules that are really good for it like one's called plasma drive it has like an actual fucking plasma drive in it okay. <laughs> like you can send nice. stuff into it and see all the electricity in it. it's really cool and i have this other one called q pass which um uh it's made by make noise and it's basically a stereo filter and that's something that's not super obvious in um to do in software like there's not a lot of stereo filters there's one in in zebra and there's maybe one in Serum or something, but um, basically if you imagine that you had the exact same patch split into the left and right speaker, and then on like the right speaker had like a bandpass filter and on the left speaker had like a low pass filter or something, it makes everything sound super wide because there's completely different filtering happening in both speakers. And the difference between width and mono is, um, or side signal and, and mid signal, is that mid signal or mono signal is just everything being the exact same in both speakers and that's what makes it sound like centered. Yeah. That's why you want your subs sort of that way. Um, and then side signal is just everything that's different in both speakers. So if you like put different filters on your left and right speaker, it instantly sounds like super fucking wide because there's two completely different things happening yeah, cool. in each ear. And this filter that I just got, it kind of like specializes in that. So would the uh, filter modulation in both sides be the same, even though it's it's a completely different filter, but the the uh, rate of it moving would be the same on both sides? Yeah, so you have like two mod inputs. It could be different or it could be the same. Okay. Yeah, you could do whatever. Um, but yeah, I don't know. So like modular stuff, it just makes me think about um, synthesis in different ways. Like it's not super obvious to do certain things in software that it is really obvious to do on modular. Like um, for instance, running like the output of a, 
like FM synthesis is so obvious to do on modular. It's not that obvious to do in a software unless you're using something like operator maybe. But like it's so obvious to take the output of an oscillator and put it into the pitch of another oscillator. So it's like modulating the frequency of it. Yeah. And um, at this point, like in in Serum and Operator and stuff, it seems obvious now, but like it, it definitely wasn't as obvious back in the day to do like FM stuff or whatever. <clears throat> but yeah. Yeah. Modular stuff's cool. So you haven't messed with it at all? No, not at all. Ben just left this thing here too. It's an OB6, the Dave Smith thing. That thing's really cool. It sounds really lush and like it sounds very. With it? Yeah, we can mess with it. Yeah, it sounds like. um. Uh, I don't know. It sounds very like old, <laughs> okay. and it's really cool. I think I'm gonna get one actually, because um, yeah, I don't know. He just left it here, and I like it a lot. I wanted to get this little toy. I wish I could remember it, but it was something that Mad Zach had a tutorial on of how he made his 808s, and it was this tiny, tiny. A MIDI fighter? No, no, no. It was a uh... Novation circuit. It was like an analog piece where he. Uh... It wasn't that thing over there, right? The Novation circuit. No, oh, no. Okay. Let's see if I can pull it up. Yeah, Madzak yeah. has some cool shit. He's some like super neat stuff. He um, the coolest thing that I think I seen him do was uh, he had this uh, and this is probably like the simplest, dumbest thing he's ever done, but it was just basically like a a record that he was scratching into a channel in live, and then he just mapped one button on the MIDI fighter to be a momentary unmute switch. So basically, instead, you know how like you can crossfade, and basically right. you set the crossfader to be at like such a powerful curve that you just have to tap it and that'll like let the signal through fully so you can get a, like basically a really tight cut going on um he just mapped that to like a midi fighter button so he was like scratching with one with hand just a button yeah and then he was just like tapping this button and then i sort of based um a bunch of shit that i did in some live sets after that on that concept which was pretty cool <clears throat> but yeah mad Zach is um He's cool, man. I, I haven't really, I've never chatted to him, but I, would, I wouldn't mind having him on this podcast too. I feel like he'd be an interesting guy to talk to. I've really enjoyed his uh, tutorials with like MIDI fighters and stuff. Um, he has this really, really cool tutorial of uh, one knob rules them all. With a twister? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was actually with the, with the MIDI fighter whenever it had two knobs on it and then two faders on it. It was before it was just the midi fighter and then just the twister right um and he had that one nod map the on and off switch of a bunch of different effects and it was mapped to the dry wets of certain things and then you know made tons of tons of cool effects so this uh this 808 bass drum kind of thing that he made was from a moog uh work stat oh never even heard of that yeah I have a Mother 32. It's just basically like a semi-modular synth thing. And it's seen in here, too, that it's, I guess, a limited edition monosynth, analog yeah. monosynth. He definitely seems like that's his steez is like hardware and fucking with it and making like these cool little live setups and stuff. Yeah. He's really good at that shit. Yeah. So um, what are you doing for the rest of you? Just, I mean, we're doing shows. Uh, are you doing the Beautiful and Filthy tour? And then what about that other than that? Um, as far as that goes... I'm not sure what we've got going on in November and December. It's just the those two tours. Um, we're trying to do a New Year's run where it'll be like, you know, four shows. Oh, wow. Opening for some people or playing maybe a festival or whatever's going on at that time. What I'm looking forward to is I'm trying to get some time off in January and February, either a month or two whole months just to lock myself in the studio, work on collabs, work on the next chapter of music. I'm trying to push myself in a producer sense and musically on what – you know, immersive is going to start morphing into 
Mm-hmm. And um, are you actively like um, going out of your way to like learn new shit, or are you? Yeah, I want to. I want to look up more tutorials. Um, that's the only way that I learn is collaboration and tutorials. So I want to look up new things, incorporate those into my projects, and you know try and switch it up and make it my own flavor in a sense. Um, and when you say tutorials, is it just going to be like Ableton tutorials? Or? Yeah, yeah, Ableton tutorials. Um, I might actually look up some some music theory stuff, or you know, I want to learn some scales as well because I want to I want to learn how to make actual music as well, not yeah, just yeah. you know noises and buildups and drops. I want to incorporate a more melodic sense into some of my songs, and I already have that in a way, but I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just you know experimenting until I get something that sounds pleasing in my opinion, in my ears and stuff. So. Yeah, I feel like that's happening with a lot of producers recently. Like Saya just sent me his new EP and um, it's like got a ton of melody on it, which is pretty new for him, I feel like, because yeah. his stuff is like uh, historically just been pretty one note bangery sort of stuff, which I love. I've always enjoyed his music. But um, yeah, he, he was saying as well that he's just kind of getting sick of the one note stuff. And, yeah. and I'm sort of sick of it too. I feel like it's something that, yeah, we all have to get past. Yeah, <laughs> like that, there is a place and time for it for sure. But like, I feel like people... Uh, especially in like the neuro scene um, and especially in like the dubstep scene and stuff, they sort of just like rely completely on sound design and there's like no riffs or musicality. Yeah, really in. it's just like F or F sharp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> it's like wah, 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 wah. Yeah, with a little bit of and pitch it's just in. A, yeah, beat and like everything that surrounds it to make it like at all musical is just like splice samples like you yeah. or like a whew, and Definitely. just like little fucking effect sounds that pop up. Delays sort of. and reverbs on those things. Yeah, exactly. And I think that was cool, but I think, yeah, we're going to look back at that time as like, oh, remember when everyone was doing that? Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> everybody like forgot about notes right <laughs> and i think it's cool to do that kind of thing but definitely you know not forever you know maybe just for a, a time a certain time frame and then you can always revisit it but i think you know doing the same thing over and over can definitely be boring for yourself you know you always want to make this entertaining because it's fun but i also feel like if you just do the same thing over and over and over like maybe rhythm producers i don't know how, how those guys feel if if they're all like oh i'm enjoying this, this is a banger or if, if some of them are getting bored of it, I'm not sure how that works. I think they see it as like a stressful job for the most part. Like I, yeah. most people I've talked to who make that style of music, who are doing it at a professional level, um, have all kind of, yeah, espouse the same sort of idea. They're like, yeah, it's, it's kind of like just music for me. It's just, it's like a job sort of thing. Damn. Yeah. Um, which I mean, it is at some point it becomes a job. hundred percent. Um, yeah. One thing I tell all my students, like every time I teach, I, I always tell them, yeah, just what, whatever you need to do to make it fun, just do that because like that's yeah. the way you're going to get better quicker. Like if, if you're stoked about it and you really want to do it and you're really engaged with it and you just do it for like 10 hours a day, you'll get good at it really quick. And if, you, if music for you is a chore that um, you don't have fun doing because your goals are maybe way too particular and like you can't get there because you don't have the skill set yet or because actually writing that music is not fun it's really just like engaging with the music and listening back to it that's the fun part like you know for dubstep for instance i don't really think making dubstep's that fun i think listening and dancing to dubstep in a club is super fun yeah so it's like it sounds like it would be really fun to make and playing it out is super fun but actually writing it is like kind of stressful yeah you, you i i think you should definitely have fun in the writing process and if you're not you know maybe if if, if it's your only goal to make this a job and you know make money off of it then go for that but you know i think you should definitely have fun with what you're doing or try something else maybe maybe music isn't the thing if it, if it's just a job and it is a job at some point but definitely have fun with it i think that's the that's the ultimate goal is to have fun yeah totally um 
Yeah, so I, I went through like a few phases of trying to learn music theory. I don't really know much music theory. I know um, I know a bunch of shit about rhythm, but that's pretty easy because it's just like yeah. you take like a bar and just break it up different ways. It's like, do you know specific like chords and like, I mean, like melodic I, structures, or do you just kind of do everything by ear until it sounds good? I do everything by ear. Okay. Um, and as far as I know, from all the people I've talked to who know a shitload about music theory, unless they're like crazy jazz people, like maybe Anomaly or Haywire or something like that, yeah, most people. Or, or, you know, maybe the flashbulb or kilowatts or something. Most people are not making music from theory. Like, a, that seems like a really sterile okay. way to make it. It's kind of like doing sound design based on knowing how to do synthesis, you know? Like, okay. Like, you wouldn't go like, all right, I'm going to add negative 12 on my modulator oscillator, and then I'm going to turn my filter down to 70%. Like, it's, that's yeah. a shitty way okay. to do sound design. It's a dumb, dumb way to do sound design. And I think it's also a dumb way to write music. I think music theory is really good for justifying shit, like, after the fact and trying. Um, Because I think, like, a big part of being a producer, and this is something that Tommy said the other day when he was here. Actually, you were here too. Yeah. Um, yeah, he, he was saying, like, a big part of being a producer is just figuring out what went right. Like last yeah. time you made the track that went really well, you know, you're like, oh fuck, I just made a track and it's really sick. What went right? And I think music theory is really good for that okay. because then you can, you can look back on it and be like, oh, okay. So I see I'm using like a lot of sevenths here maybe, or I'm using like a lot of, you know, maybe it's just like you know, triads or octaves and like, you know, maybe that's something that I, that appeals to me and my ear a lot. And therefore maybe I can try and replicate that in future tracks to make more tracks that I really like or something like that. Do you think, you know, learning theory would kind of puts you more in a box whenever it comes to writing music or i i think only if, if you let it okay. like um and i think that's the same with uh learning how to how to mix audio traditionally like um so i went to school for audio engineering and the teachers there were always like no clipping only set your yeah. faders always to like negative 12 make sure nothing's ever in the red it was always um, like a numeric value yeah don't for... over compress stuff like you know just light compression on everything teaching me like dumb shit like new york compression which is just i've never even seen anybody use since school yeah um and just like eqing like never boost on an eq only ever subtract and like all of this stuff and technically like for, for me, that was like kind of like music theory, but for audio, right? Right. And for years, that like fucked me up because like I was just sticking to you these sticking rules. To the rules. Yeah. yeah. And, and I was like, oh, no, you're not allowed to do that. And then I started like collaborating with a lot of people whose music I really like. And I was like, wow, you do everything that, I, that you're not supposed to. And then I was like, well, that's probably why the music sounds so fucking cool and crazy because you're doing all the yeah. shit you're not supposed to do. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and I think it's the same with music. It's like if you just go like, all right, I'm going to do a fucking C major chord and then like a D major chord and then G yeah, major chord it's, it's like a very it's, formulated thing it, yeah it sounds way too like sterile yeah that's definitely how some pop music feels they just you know recycle the same chord patterns and melodic yeah. patterns yeah that's and, why it sounds the same some songs yeah well most of the pop music is actually written by two guys there's oh, a guy wow. called um I can't remember one of their names is Dr. Luke and he used to be a guitarist on Saturday Night Live and now he writes like all the shit for Katy Perry and like Avril Lavigne and like all those people and the other guy is Mark someone he's like I think maybe a Swedish guy and basically like between these two guys they've written like 90% of the pop records Jesus. in like the last 10 years or something yeah. Um, which makes sense though, because like humans really like familiarity, right? Yeah. Like, um, we really like, that's why accents exist. That's why like I have an Australian accent, you have an, cause we like tried to adapt to our surroundings right? and you want to be familiar and, and all, you don't want to like stand out against shit too much, <laughs> at least from like an evolutionary perspective. Cause you want to be accepted by your tribe and stuff. Um, and I think, uh, that's probably why pop music like has a, a certain sound to it, but always sounds so familiar cause it's just made by the same people. And I think that's, they've just kind of got it at this point down to like some crazy 
crazy formula that is just like <laughs> they're just so good at getting in the studio and being like all right <laughs> this is gonna work let's make another pop tune yeah <laughs> I feel like it gets that way a little bit with dubstep and electronic music too, though. Definitely. Yeah. People definitely do uh, the safe route. Yeah, even at the production level, like I would say for myself, um, nine times out of ten when I sit down to write a song, the first thing I do is grab a kick and a snare. Yeah. And this, <laughs> Instead of starting with like a melody or, yeah. or even a hi-hat pattern, just something different, you always start with a kick and a snare. Not always, but a lot of the time. Most yeah. of the time. Yeah, yeah. and I, I try to stop myself from doing it for, because I always see myself doing it, and I'm like, oh, I should probably start like from a different place. Yeah. Because that might like end up with a better tune or a different sounding tune or something. And then quite often I'll try and like make the kicks and snares in like weird ways with like sam like you know samples that aren't supposed to be a kick or a snare or, <laughs> or synthesizers or something. But yeah. Um. Well, that's cool that you're like trying to push yourself and learn more. Yeah, I re I really want to do that. Um. Because I think this, uh, so a lot of the music that I have currently that I've been playing that's unreleased was made whenever I first quit my job, I wasn't playing that many shows at all. I was, you know, living off my credit card and just had a little bit of money to s saved up to, you know, put towards rent. So I only used that money for rent. And then the rest of it, you know, I was getting groceries and food, you know, with a credit card. And I literally sat in my bedroom, you know. As soon as I woke up to whenever I went to bed, I would wake up before some of my roommates sometimes and then go to sleep after my roommates went to sleep, like really grinded, you know, in between 12 to 18 hours a day. And a lot of the music that I have was made during that time period, that six month to like 10 month period where I wasn't playing that many shows. And the last, I'd say year or so, that's I've been just refining those tunes and trying to finish them, you know, as I learn more, not really change the songs, but, you know, mix them a little bit better, process them a little bit, you know, quote unquote better. And I've been, you know, touring with those songs. So this next chapter, I want to push myself differently in some sort of way, you know, learn more, experiment more and, you know, just see what happens because... If you were to listen to the entire unreleased catalog that I have, a lot of the songs sound the same. They each have their different vibe and their different purpose, um, but they do have that familiar sound. Mm -hmm. So I want to expand on that and make a new familiar sound. Nice. I'm curious, like you, you said you had like a bunch of credit cards and like you're using that to pay rent and groceries and then yeah. just like in your own grind. Well, I only had two total. Two credit cards? Yeah. Oh, what was your question? With oh, it? yeah. My, so my yeah. question was, um, you said you're grinding super hard. How much of that grind do you think was like, um, because you're like, fuck, like I gotta get out of this well, credit card situation? No, it wasn't. It wasn't really like that in a way. I mean, definitely, I I needed to make money to like. I'm still paying the suckers off. It sucks. <laughs> I just paid off my Sweetwater card, which is really awesome. I used that to uh, buy my new setup, which is um. DJM 900 Nexus 2 and then two Tractor X1s and um, oh so you're traveling now with your own mixer no um, I did with the uh, Boogie T tour but um, I try and put on my writer that that's the mixer that we require and then sometimes they'll do the Nexus 2 most of the time it's been Nexus 2 lately and then sometimes they use the Nexus 1 which works just as well it just doesn't have a better sound card or as good of a sound card as the Nexus 2 and the effects are um, not near as clean um but whenever I was writing, I was mainly just trying to, you know, make music that could relate to people and just push myself as far as like become a better producer. So, and, so it came more from like a place of passion. Yeah. And I wanted to make music that I 
vibed with and that I enjoyed. I didn't want to just make something that, you know, would appeal to masses or appeal to a certain particular crowd. I wanted to, I wanted to combine that. I wanted to make something that I enjoyed as well as other people enjoyed. Have you made um, a piece of music yet that, um, that you made specifically just for like, uh, I call it like functional music, like just for dance floors or whatever that you haven't really enjoyed to make, but you just like wanted to make it for like, yes, that. I have definitely done that before. And did you notice the response was different? Um, in a way, yes, but it it didn't necessarily. I didn't not enjoy it, but I didn't love the process. So it was still fun, but I didn't just love the process. And I noticed that I don't want to do that a lot because I don't want to get bored of what I'm doing or make it like how we were talking about earlier, how it becomes a job um, just to pay bills. Um, I definitely have noticed a different response, though. Um, it was, you know. From what people were saying, it was more of a banger. Okay. Um, nice. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I definitely don't want to stick to that, but I definitely I tried it out, you know, to experiment, see how that would uh, work. And it, it's funny because it, it actually worked mm-hmm. as far as, you know, a good crowd response. Um, it fit that, uh, that box of, you know, very easily digestible dance music that could, you mm-hmm. know, you could headbang to it. You could... You know, it had that one-two vibe almost like rhythm does. Yeah, okay, yeah. Um, but I still try to make it not rhythm. <laughs> yeah, I feel like the the reason why people have connected so much with that one-two vibe is because of walking. Yeah, it's like okay, the, yeah, we walk with, and it's very easy to dance to as well. And then yeah. also, real quick, have the, I have no hate or anything against rhythm or an easier dance style vibe. I think everybody has their own taste, and everybody needs music that fits their own vibe so totally yes i i I do think um that rhythm is a good style of music but i think with any good style of anything or just anything in general once there's like a lot of reward for doing it a lot of people start to try and get in on that reward and they kind of destroy it a lot and like um, i agree it's it's happened with every style pretty much like any that happened with you know dubstep a few years ago it happened with trance before that yep just like as soon as there's um money in it and there's like skin in the game people fucking jump on it like a fat kid on a cupcake and just like start ruining it um i can can say fat kid because i was a fat kid (laughs) (laughs) i've noticed too that like since i like you know started listening religiously to electronic music yes in 2010 or whenever that started i noticed that the uh they this is what they call it now i don't know if it was called that back then but in 2012 there was this uh area of music called uh bro step oh yeah I know it that, was just yeah. dubstep it was but they called like, it bro step yeah that was kind of um post yeah, skrillex right? yeah and um i've noticed that I guess it's been every year or every two or three years, there's been a new wave of electronic music and everybody taps into it and oversaturates it. Um, lately, since I moved out to Colorado in the last three years, I've noticed what's been popping is, and not specifically in Colorado, but just these last three years that I've lived here is um, that Neurobase halftime. Mm-hmm. That's like popping, but that's like more so in the underground. It's not yeah. really mainstream yet, I feel like. And yeah, then rhythm. Like, um, yeah, for those sure. Those two things. I think Noisy, they did that halftime album, Outer Edges. Yeah. And that was fucking sick. And I thought like, and then after Cohen Sound was doing it too, and like, you know, Cohen Sound had that EP on Alza and all that all that stuff. I was like, sweet, and you're going to get huge. This is great. Um, I just never really did. Uh, I mean, it's big, but it's not like that big. Right. It's not like dubstep big. I think it, I think it can be big one day. It it will be eventually because you know rhythm was already a thing back in like 
I feel like 08 or 09, you know, mm-hmm. with those UK guys in a, in a way. Um, but it definitely wasn't mass produced and it wasn't um, as aggressive too, where everything was clipped or super, super, super distorted. It was yeah. more of a simpler vibe. Um, and I wish I had some artists that I could just name off the top of my head, but I have noticed that when I've been like something that's awesome about Spotify is you can just, um, start radio stations off one particular song and then dig so deep and, you know, discover new artists. And that's such a cool thing that they, um, made. You can do that with SoundCloud too. That's how I do a lot of my crate digging is I'll, you know, find a song that I really enjoy and then make a radio out of that favorite, the ones that I like along the way, and then go back. Yep. to that first favorite make yeah. a radio out of that and just it's a loophole and you can just keep you going do it on, forever you do this on SoundCloud yeah I do it on SoundCloud and I've been doing it on Spotify now that I got Spotify nice um, but yeah I think since Rhythm was already made and now that it's something that's popping you know I guess almost a decade yeah that would be a decade later um, I think Halftime will eventually see that light of day maybe if it's incorporated with hip hop more because it does have that hip hop vibe maybe if there's like lyrics on top of it where it can relate to more of the younger kids. Um, Cause something too that I've noticed with the younger generation is that their attention spans are a lot shorter. So they need those as far as shows go, I feel like they need those drops. I noticed I started mixing faster whenever I did my first tour because I couldn't keep everyone's attention that well with like the pretty melodic parts. And that is also different with every show, each venue, it's a different setting every time, you know? Yeah. And probably as you become more of like a headline act, people will become more accepting of like the melodic parts. Yeah. I feel like they they get more accepting of like, uh, we trust you and we allow you to take us on this journey rather than just me mugging you on the rail. Oh, let's talk about that. Um, so you made a tweet that kind of like, you got a bit of kick on because, uh, because you were like, oh man, it sucks that people are mean mugging me on this. Yeah. Yeah. That was, um, it, it happened most of the tour and I try not to focus on the negative, but whenever it happens a lot, it almost kind of like sticks in your brain. So you, basically what you explained to me is that there was just guys who were like leaning on the yeah. rail and they were just staring you like right in the eyes as you were playing. Yep. And, and they, they would look you directly in the eyes and just gave you this look like, Hey, get the fuck off stage. And it wasn't the whole crowd. Like everybody in the back would be dancing or like there would, you know, there would be a person a row behind, or there would be like one or two people on the rail dancing and enjoying themselves. But there would be for sure, like most of the guys, and it was guys, it wasn't girls. Sometimes it would be, but it was mostly guys just kind of being dicks and like looking at you, like, what are you doing? And every show was like a bunch of them. Yeah. It felt like that. Yeah. And, and, the it I try not to let it get to my head, but that last show, you know, just being so exhausted after playing like fifty shows. Sometimes we would do the the last uh, month of that tour. It was five shows a week, sometimes six, and it was very very draining. Because what I, my like after show ritual would be sitting in my bunk working on the next set till like six or seven in the morning, mm-hmm. trying to just experiment and try new things and. I'm so thankful for that tour too, because I learned a lot with how to mix, how to perform, um, how to go on different vibes, how to mix faster. Because a lot of my songs have, I like to draw it out, play the intros and the, you know, the breaks, because that's how you get the vibe of the song. But I noticed in certain cities that I needed to mix faster, that kids wanted to hear drops and, you know, party and have a good time. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, um, but I think yeah. listening music and live music is two totally different Yeah, things. I agree with that. 
Yeah, so you made a tweet about it, and then you got like a uh, Space Juice also made a tweet about this like a while ago. Really? Yeah, when he was doing the when he was opening on the uh, he who, who shall not be named to a yeah so. <laughs> <laughs> the bloody rapist. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know, dude. That was such a fuck situation. Yeah, like, definitely. You know, like all these chicks coming out being like, "Yeah, he like got me mad high on ketamine, and then my panties were gone." That's fucking so, awful. Yeah, it's yeah. fucked. Um, You're fucked for doing that. Yeah, not cool. Not cool. Not cool at all. But yeah, um, so yeah, Space Juice was doing that tour, and he he made a tweet on that on that tour, being like, uh, "It really sucks when there's like you know somebody in the front row just staring you down." And my my instant response to it was the same as as my response to yours. It's like I've had a very long career of people staring at me while I've been playing, and I've also most of my career played headline shows. Like it's only really been the last few years where I've been like, "All right, maybe I need to sort of like step into a new realm and start opening for bigger artists." Before that, I was really stubborn about it. I was like. No, I just want to do my own thing. Yeah. And um and most of my own fans who would buy tickets to my show that I was playing last at, like top of the bill headlining, would all be staring at me. And it's just because I play really thinky music. And I was like, um, for a long time I was like, oh man, like the opener had more people dancing and shit. And I would always get kind of pissed about it. But then people would talk to me after and they were always like like specific people I could see being really still in the audience who were staring at me would come up to me and be like, Man, that's like the fucking coolest shit I've ever seen. Because I uh, like, you know, they were just enjoying themselves in their head, I guess. Like not everybody feels the need to have to rage all the time. Right. It is really nice to like physically express yourself. Like somebody's Definitely. playing a banger and you're like, Yeah, I can like so easily dance to this and it's really <laughs> satisfying to dance to it. It is really satisfying and cool. But it's yeah. Yeah, definitely doesn't did, since you made a good point about that i have been you know taking it differently since then it is hard when you're exhausted totally yeah you, get, you can like, get you know in your tour emotions makes a lot you, easier yeah i feel like touring can weigh you down and make you pretty edgy yeah for sure <laughs> by the end of um the tour with circuit ben i almost got in like a fist fight with jesse <laughs> really? <So> yeah <laughs> i pulled him out of the van at one point and was like yelling at him because he was just pissing me off so much he's just being a dick yeah and yeah. i fucking regret it so much i'm like fuck i can't believe like yeah. I let my emotions <laughs> yeah. get the better on me like that yeah no um, it's crazy and we're, we're cool now i think that's but, good yeah it was um yeah, we were just getting on each other's nerves a lot because... Um, yeah, you're living together. We were basically living in a sprinter van for yeah. like, yeah, three months. It's crazy. Yeah, and we didn't like... I, I imagine the boogie tour, there was probably like a bit more separation because you had bunks and like you yeah. also had a driver so you didn't have to drive so you were getting some sleep and like yeah. all that kind of stuff. Everybody kind of did their own thing on the tour. Like sometimes we would hang out or, you know, sometimes people would do their own thing. <laughs> It was really cool. We all, What was really awesome about that tour is we all respected each other's space and we all had a good time together. That's awesome. And yeah, yeah. On, on the tour that, that I did, um, it was, I think the tour um, grossed like 35 grand and it was about 35 shows. So it equaled out like each show was making a thousand bucks and literally all of that money just went back into the tour. So yeah. we didn't really have like hotels and shit and we... Damn, so y'all were sleeping in the Sprinter van? A lot of the Holy time, yeah. Shit. And there was five of us. So it was like me. That's really um, tough. Yeah, me, two visual guys, a drummer, and Jesse from Circuit Bend. And we were um and Jesse from Circuit Bend didn't drive. So it was basically me and three other dudes splitting all the driving. And it was mostly oh, you this. Had to drive um, too. Yeah, Damn, dude, we had man. to do everything. We had to load That's in the dangerous. shows. We had to, oh, it was fucked. That's very dangerous. So um, yeah, for example, one night we played in Calgary and then um we had to load the show out. So we got everything out of the venue and into the van by like probably 4 a.m. And then we had another load in in Winnipeg at 5 p.m. So we literally just didn't even sleep that night. We just all took Adderall and just drove from Calgary to, to Winnipeg and then uh, reset up the entire show, did another show, and then repacked it all down again. So we were awake at that point for like 48 hours and had to do a 12-hour drive. God. Yeah. <laughs> and it's crazy because I think like 
some of these kids that are going to the shows don't understand how have no stressful idea. and it's, how yeah. hard it is to tour. And totally. I, I honestly didn't know, you know, before I got into it, I didn't think it was easy at any point it's, because it took me so years to like, you know, finally start getting shows. I mean, we threw shows back in my hometown, but that was like, you know, 100, 200 people, you know, people just wanting to party, not really and your hometown there for is the scene. Louisiana, right? Yeah, so yeah. Shreveport, Louisiana. It's like Northwest Louisiana, about three hours from Dallas to put that in perspective. But yeah, it it was um, doing the first tour. I was, you know, very excited for it, but I didn't realize how hard it would be on the body, you know, eating shitty food, you and know, not getting that much sleep. Boogie T one was yeah. the first tour you did? Yeah, that was the oh, first right. tour. Um, that's a good first tour. Yeah, yeah, it was amazing. I got in front of so many people. <laughs> yeah, I feel you know, like that really fans sort of... from that. Yeah, that that set it off for me. What, what started it was Electric Forest in uh, 2018, then the Boogie Tour, and then all these festivals have really, you know, been a blessing and been getting me in front of uh, tons of people that would normally listen to my music. Yeah, um, yeah, it seems like you you've kind of like hit the jackpot a little bit in terms of like this this new project. Definitely, definitely. But yeah, it is hard. Like, yeah, if you're in that position, like I was just explaining, like on Adderall, awake for 48 yeah. hours, having done a 12 hour drive, it's really easy to fight your friend. Yeah. <laughs> it's no, really easy. 100%. And it's really, really fucking easy to make a tweet saying, hey, this is making me angry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah, it, I think people don't don't give artists enough credit sometimes with shit like that. They're they like, don't. oh, you're a fucking entitled piece of shit. It's yeah. like, man, come on, shut the fuck yeah, up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And it sucks. Um, and I, I, you know, I didn't know this person, but I just saw the, documentaries but uh avici you know oh yeah it sucks what happened but like that's like an example of how stressful touring can be but he like, wasn't touring for the last few years of his life yeah so he was mostly just in the studio making tunes uh for me i think um i don't know much about his life so so it's pretty speculative but i think that he probably had like mental health problems yeah uh, and maybe like i don't think everybody is compatible with being that big yeah because he was super he was super like, famous like the biggest ridiculous. man like, it was insane yeah. yeah so like i think and he and also the documentary i watched um he talked a lot about being like a really introverted person and i feel like when you're an introverted person like that you can become susceptible to a lot of stuff like um imposter syndrome do you know about this one no so it's like a phenomenon where like when you're really good at something and you're like at a really high level um, and you have all of these mechanics to be that good, like, and you, there's no other way to get that good without having these like mechanics in your brain. Those same mechanics make it really easy for you to think that you're kind of like useless and like an imposter and that you shouldn't be in that position. Yeah. <clears throat> um, there's also a thing Damn, called, um, do you know about the Dunning-Kruger effect? No. So it's like uh, the Dunning-Kruger effect is when people who are really bad at shit think that they're really good at shit and people <laughs> who are really good at shit think that it's really hard. easy for everybody. Oh, Okay. So um, a good example is like driving. Like everybody thinks they're a really good driver. Right. It's totally the Dunning-Kruger effect because like not false. everybody can be a really good driver. Like there has to be a curve of like skill there. Right. And there is a curve of skill there. There's people like right at the top who are professional drivers, right? And then there's fucking people who get in car accidents three times a year who still think they're really good drivers. Yep. Um, and then people who are really good at shit, like for instance, I'm really good at, I would say, Ableton. Um, but I think it's going to be really easy for everyone, right? Um, and it's like... Uh, my partner Jan, who's like a really amazing programmer, she just thinks yeah. programming is easy for everyone. Right, she, <laughs> it's definitely not the case. It's, it's fucking so hard. absolutely not the case. Yeah. Programming is intense. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I don't know. I think he was probably suffering from some of that shit. You know, like um, definitely being like, oh, this is I, I don't know. It's all speculative. I'm yeah, just speculative. he probably had not that much privacy either. Whenever he was in public, if someone noticed him, he was yeah bombarded or whatever. 
Yeah, yeah, I think once you get a little taste of like what it's like to be a, a little bit successful, you're like, fuck, imagine putting this on like steroids times a million. Yeah. This has got to be tough. Definitely. Because um, I mean, I don't get it that bad. Like I can go out to, usually I'll just only get recognized if I go out to like a show. Yeah. Like I went to see Truth at the Black Box, for instance, on Saturday night and I got recognized by like 20 people or something. But um, And that wasn't too bad. But at least when I like go to the show, I'm like, I know this is going to happen. So this yeah, you can and, prepare and I know, yourself for it a little bit. Yeah, and I kind of also know that when I leave, it's not going to happen. Like, I know when I leave, like, that'll stop happening because it's just really at the show that that's going to happen. Yeah. I can only imagine how stressful it must be to know that, like, oh, fuck, I want to just go get, like, some Chipotle or something and yeah, be like, and no, I'm going to have to talk to, like, 20 people. This yeah. sucks. Like, um, but, I mean, at that level, too, you probably just have people going to get your shit all the yeah. time. But then <laughs> yeah, again, probably. being inside all the time and just... That can drive you nuts. It's probably not that healthy either, yeah. See, I don't know. It's probably, like, a really complicated thing that I don't really fully understand. Yeah. And some people can probably handle it better than others, you know? Yeah, some people are built for that, but he was an introvert, so, like, yeah. I think he definitely was not. Um, do you get recognized a lot, like, on the street now? Um, not really. Um, the, the last couple times whenever I go out to eat, but it's only it's only at shows. Yeah. For the most part. Yeah. Know? Yeah, I find um, <clears throat> if I ever get recognized on the street, it's usually when I'm playing a show in, like, a small town, like, a small college town. And like you're going out right yeah. before the show or something? Yeah, to yeah. go and, like, get a thing on the corner, like a piece of pizza or something. Like, Flagstaff, Arizona or some shit, you know, like, some some small college town yeah. where there's, like, one show happening that night and, like, every fucking kid in Is this... Is going to that show. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, then then I might get recognized. Do you ever get overwhelmed when you're when a lot of people talk to you or is it uh, I do level head or um I try to so like yeah. I, I'm always like consciously in my head being like all right don't like let this get to your ego too much and like try to be just like on the middle path like a Buddhist kind of thing yeah I'm always like consciously trying to do that because that seems to be like the most reasonable response to that environment and that kind of interaction and being in that position uh, but I will usually. It depends on my mood. I was in Indianapolis the other night and this guy came and sat down next to me and uh, he wouldn't like, he was just asking me like all the questions about Ableton and just blowing all the smoke up my ass and it was just making me feel really uncomfortable. Yeah. Like, you know, when somebody sits next to you and they just tell you you're awesome like every five seconds. Yeah. And I, you know, it's like, it seems positive, but it, it doesn't feel positive. Yeah, <laughs> it feels no, like, it, it feels like the relationship is incredibly imbalanced. Yeah. And also another thing that I experience a lot is um, because I do the YouTube tutorial thing, I have like thousands of hours of me talking on the internet. Um, I'll have people who have watched like all of my videos and all of my live streams. And then when they meet me, they really feel like they know me because like um, they've heard me they've talk for so many hours. So much of you, yeah. And I mean, re technically they do. Like, I mean, they. I feel like once you watch enough of a, but like, I feel like if I met Joe Rogan, he would be exactly like I would expect him to be because right. I've listened to thousands of hours of him talk at this point, or maybe not thousands, but I've listened to a lot of hours of him talk and and I think once you listen to somebody talk for that long, you get a pretty good like idea of I, who that person yeah, is. Yeah, exactly. But it's an incredibly unbalanced and weird way to start a relationship with somebody because it's like they know everything about you and, and they know exactly what you're like and, you know, what kind of stuff you you like to say and how you think and all this shit. But you've never met them or saw yeah, them. you have no you, idea who they are. Yeah, so it's like this weird imbalance and it feels really weird because they're like, hey, like you're my best friend. And you're like, <laughs> <laughs> and you're like I don't know who it's you like, are. I don't know you though. Yeah, and then all of a sudden like you having that response to them and them feeling like they knew you really well has this kind of like, you know, reaction to it where it kind of develops this thing where they're like, get confused then because they're like oh shit i thought we were like best friends yeah <laughs> or something like that i don't know it's it's like a weird dynamic that i 
sometimes I think about that a lot at shows when people come up and talk to me. I'm like, wow, that, that guy like definitely felt like he knew me a lot. And also I get asked a shitload of stuff about Ableton at shows and I'd never want to talk about it at shows. Yeah, I'm like, that's you, why I put you, it on the internet. Right. And you want to, whenever you want, whenever you go to a show, you want to enjoy the show. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you want to, you don't want to talk about what you do every day. Yeah. Because you want to go to, you know, experience some, some sounds and get inspired by, you know, another artist or just simply have fun. Mm hmm and take time to enjoy yourself. Yeah. How do you feel about like the small talk stuff, like uh, people coming up and just being like, hey man, sick tunes, and then that's it? I think that's cool, as long as it's, you know, short and sweet, if it's small talk, you know? Yeah. But, yeah. I think eventually you get like desensitized to it though a little bit. Yeah. Like once a hundred people say it to you in a yeah. night sort of thing. It's like cool and you're like, yeah, this is great. And this is nice to have this attention, but it's also kind of like it gets meaningless. Yeah. Like maybe from it that person sense. it's not so meaningless because it's like they're just one person telling one person one thing. Right. But you're like one person experiencing the same message a hundred times from yeah. different people. I Whenever that does happen, I just try to, you know, be grateful and thankful in that moment of time. Yeah. And, you know, thank that person like, you know, it's a bless. it is a blessing that these people do think that because, you know, without them, you wouldn't be able to play a show. Totally. So it's, it's the, like, yes, yeah, those collective It is a people, weird yeah. thing um, because, yeah, it definitely is. You do get desensitized from it in a, in a sort of way if it's yeah. <laughs> the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm the same. Like, I'm really grateful for it. But yeah, you get, I get a little bit desensitized when I hear the same thing over and over again. Yeah. And I'm just like, oh, it's just, yeah, people are just saying this. <laughs> um, but they do yeah. mean it. Oh, which for is sure. Amazing. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's, it is good to have fans so you can yeah. play shows. Cool. Um, well, sweet, man. That was like probably an hour. That seems like a good yeah. amount of time to chat for. Is nice. there anything else you wanted to chat about? I don't think so, man. I think that's... I feel like we covered a lot of stuff. Yeah, we did. We did everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this is pretty much what these podcasts are. It's just me sitting down with people and just talking just for chatting. like an hour or two. The one I did with Ankle Pants was almost three hours. Damn. We, we talked about everything because <laughs> yeah. that guy is crazy. He um he has like these 3D printers at his house and he um his whole... He basically 3D printed little components and shit and built himself a whole suit and then like put accelerometers and all this sort of shit in the suit so when he like performs him like dancing on stage and moving around is like affecting all of the data going into max and then max is like feeding data into live basically his whole body is like his instrument whoa yeah that's cool <laughs> and like we, apparently at his house he just has like tons of 3d printed parts everywhere that he's like used to like build parts of his house that's so fucking cool yeah like build parts of his house too yeah so see this um ankle pants uh statue thing yeah yeah he like 3d printed that too he just 3d prints tons of shit that's and cool. he's also um he he does like uh animatronics for like films like star wars and shit and um yeah. so he builds like prosthetics as well like you know that's how he built the mask that he has and stuff yeah that mask is yeah. strange yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah we, we talked about um one of the things we talked about is how like his set is like more technical than anyone's really yeah and uh his whole suit is like proprietary thing that he built and he's so fucking smart and like you know when he's on stage he's wearing like 10 grand worth of tech on his body Jesus. and people are just like lol a penis like, <laughs> it just like all gets <laughs> lost <laughs> just because of that <laughs> yeah yeah it like kind of ruins like everything just for, it's funny yeah but i guess he did it to just like take the piss out of thing well cool man um i appreciate you coming on and chetting yeah thanks awesome. for having me yeah. on that was sick out. all right cheers man
Thank you for listening to the Mr. Bill podcast. Thank you for listening to the Mr. Bill podcast. Thank you for listening to the Mr. Bill podcast. Thank you for listening to the Mr. Bill podcast. Thank you for listening to the Mr. Bill podcast.